0: And welcome to Carry the Load's Lessons from the Front. This is the podcast that seeks to inspire us all to do just 1% more for our country in honor of the 1% who defend us every day from the bad guys. I'm your host, Todd Boating, and today I have got a personal friend and a great, great American, a gentleman who should need no introduction to very many of the, uh, 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 where where are we? Uh, Carry the Load, the Carry the Load community. Uh, a guy by the name of Ryan, the Birdman Parrot. He is a former United States Navy SEAL sniper. He is the founder and executive director of Sons of the Flag. And Birdman, I just want to say welcome, my friend. It is wonderful to have you here to talk to you.
1: Oh, I appreciate you having me. It's uh, been a great journey, you and I. So I'm excited. Let's do it, it really has.
0: It really has. I mean, you know, you're, you're one of those guys that... Uh, uh, that I met along the way that I continued to get just a, a tremendous amount of energy from. Um, and I want to get into that here in a little bit, how you give people so much energy. But um, you know, one of the things that I found when I got out of the uh, the Marine Corps was uh, kind of lost my sense of purpose. And Um, you know like many of us do and then next thing you know I'm meeting guys like you and you were so kind to uh, to point out earlier that I'm of the uh, the older generation not the greatest generation per se I'm not that old but uh, you know I was coming off active duty uh, as you were getting into uh, the Navy I mean you hadn't even joined yet you couldn't join yet uh, on 9-11 and that's right when I was getting out but So tell us what led you into the service. Who was Ryan Parrott before he was Birdman?
1: I will, uh, but I will stop and say for a second that no matter how much we joke in each other about age or any of that stuff, you were before my time. And that means that we try to follow in your footsteps and carry on your traditions. And we are grateful. So that is uh, always the first and foremost how did it start for me? It's so, uh, interesting. So I was—I grew up in Michigan. I was in the suburbs of Detroit, and failing almost every subject in school uh, was a personal choice for me to see how much I could, you know, make my teachers upset, um, or I just didn't care. Either way, it just wasn't working out. School was not my thing. Um, so I was on a path to going nowhere. I was working in multiple different jobs as a busboy. I worked at Walgreens, KFC. And the one thing for me was that teachers are so powerful and teachers really do speak to students every now and then. And I had a teacher who was a Marine in Vietnam who every morning would run around the classroom with his American flag, a hundred miles an hour, the most boisterous dude, six foot five wore the Marine Corps bifocal still. I mean, it was an identical picture of his boot camp picture with his, his glasses on. And just this crazy guy was like America. And it's just crazy guy. Right. And we all respected him because he was in his fifties and he had more energy than our, you know, 17 year old, 16 year old. And he was always talking about the Marine Corps and service to our country. And then, so I was failing his class as well. And then, I remember one day he came into the class and instead of being the boisterous, typical guy that he was, he just stood there and he said, ladies and gentlemen, we touched on the Marine Corps a lot. He said, there's only one thing better than the Marine Corps, and that's the U.S. Navy SEALs. Now, do I, thinking back now, believe that he thought that? I've never met a Marine that thinks that. <laughs> but I think he was literally speaking to me and he was talking about a topic that I never heard of before. Back then, early 2000, 2000 it was. Nobody talked about the SEALs. We didn't really know what they were. And so he started to make it sound like Navy SEALs live on the moon and they breathe water and all this cool stuff. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. I actually paid attention that day. So I stayed after class said, Mr. Barnes, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And he violently laughed in my face. It was the first time I've ever had a teacher step up and you know, laugh in my face. I'm like, can you do that as a teacher? Can you laugh in my face? And He goes, buddy. You're not even passing my class, and it's an elective. How are you going to pass SEAL training? I have no idea. So I think what he saw was that there was some fire in my eye because I really was so so invigorated by this. What he said to us, he goes, you're serious about this. And I said, I'm 100% serious about it. And he kept his promise. And that was the first lesson that I ever learned in my life that I was like, I'm going to pull from this. I'm going to use this forever is you keep your word. Because he said, you're serious about this. I'm going to get you some literature on it. And sure enough, the next day I showed up to his class and there was a Reader's Digest magazine sitting on my desk. It's called The Making of an American Warrior. A guy by the name of Jeff Wright, who was a Marine, served honorably, got out and then went into the Navy to see if he had what it takes to become a SEAL. And just that alone told me everything I needed to know about what SEAL training was like. You have somebody who so, served so honorably, the Marine Corps, from what I had known was the, the thing, it was the place that you go if you want to be a hardcore operator. And then this Marine is testing his skills in the SEAL team. So I was like, wow, there's something there. And so, I mean, I read this book, it was probably seven pages long. And it was the first book I ever read cover to cover junior in high school. Yeah. That's (laughs) my life story.
0: (laughs) Seven pages. First book you read cover to cover.
1: Oh yeah. So I still have that Reader's Digest magazine and I don't ever want to bring it back to the library because I know that that bill is going to be out of control. It's been what twenty years now. So
0: oh yeah, but that's, that's a long one.
1: <laughs> little did I know that the book that inspired me, with this guy who was a marine named Jeff Wright, who ultimately became a CEO, would become one of my dear friends. So just really cool.
0: So you you said that you were failing classes on purpose, just just to test things. Did I catch that right?
1: Ish. Yes. Okay. I mean, so I would show up and I'd take my tests and I would do just fine on tests, but I never would turn in my homework and a degree. It was, I just didn't care. I really didn't care. And this was, you know, I'm a product of a family who my parents, even though they were divorced, parented me together. They always pushed hard on me to do my academics. They pushed hard in sports. So it's like, I wasn't, I wasn't having any problems at home. And I just really didn't care. It was like school didn't ignite a fire for me to want to move forward in life. Is it because I, you
0: didn't see the, the value of it beyond school?
1: Absolutely. It was a combination of that. It was a combination of the classes that I had and the teachers that I had and the friends that I had. You know, I'd rather. So I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. So I think one of the things that really has kind of molded me into who I am today was that my parents did divorce when I was five years old. And so from there, I moved from family member to family member's house, from my dad's house to my mom's house, to we moved in with our grandparents' house at some point in time. And it never really gave me a time to establish relationships because I lacked communication skills. And it wasn't until end of middle school, high school, where I started to understand and develop relationships and learn communication skills. And so my one thing in life I prided more than anything was my friendships, my relationships. And that's why I try to be so open to everybody today, because it's one thing I lacked for a long time, was having camaraderie, friendships. And then as I started to develop relationships, and then I got into the service and into the teams, I was like, wow, this is so cool. And so that's my number one thing in life is friendship. You know, how many friends can I collect along the way? People collect possessions or whatever it may be. I collect people.
0: That's awesome and you know what's what's so interesting about you know what you said is that uh, you know I, I don't know how many you know of these shows we've done now and and there are way more people like you and me who did not do well in school because we didn't see a purpose in it we didn't see the value in it it wasn't of interest to us and yet not dumb people by any stretch of the imagination and we didn't all necessarily grow up in a in a bad household as you pointed out um But then it takes, you know, the opportunity to join the military and have a very, very specific mission, a very focused mission and brothers to the left and the right that you never wanted to let down. And then all of a sudden you find I'm actually a pretty good student when I put my mind to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's when you're interested in something, you get fired up and then you're like, man, I'm a scholar today.
0: (laughs) So what, what sport did you play?
1: Oh, first and foremost, uh, you know, Michigan, it's like Texas football, ice hockey,
0: ice hockey. Okay. And what position did you play? You probably weren't a goalie. I mean, you know, people can't tell you're not huge.
1: That's I mean, a funny story. What do you mean? I'm not huge.
0: You're large in stature. How about that?
1: Wow. I am offended. I'm absolutely offended. So
0: I speak the truth.
1: <laughs> so I, uh, when we first started out thinking about hockey, my dad took me to swap me. And I saw the goalie pads and I was like, that's exactly what I would do. He's like, my dad played hockey a long time before that. You're not being a goalie. It's the most boring position ever. I'm like, okay, great. He's like, you're a runner, you play soccer, you're fast. You're gonna be you're gonna be a forward. okay. So put on skates and then I would find myself playing center forward. And I idolized, you know, Detroit Red Wings were a hot hockey team back then, their legacy team. We had Sergei Fedorov, one of the best players in the world, and he was fast. And he was a center forward. So then I emulated him and clearly different talent levels between he and I, but I wanted to be him. And so I was a center forward, always around the eyes, trying to score goals.
0: Okay. So then you're sitting in class, um, September 11, 2001, almost exactly, uh, 20 years ago now, what happened?
1: Everybody remembers that specific moment. Everybody, I mean, the entire world stood still. I was filming the subject that I was sitting in class, which was keyboard or typing class. And I remember our teacher getting up out of his desk and bolting to the TV. And that was back when you had those giant tube TVs. They had just started to mount them on the ceilings. So we're like, "Whoa, cool! That's a new TV. It's got a, you know, a tape player, a VHS player with it." And he runs over to the TV and, you know, the only time you do that is when there's a panic, as we discussed earlier, people who run to a TV that in that panic mode, it's either you're going to watch the landing on the moon for the first time or the surrender of the Japanese in World War II, or some major event that happens. And so I had never celebrated or seen any of those in, you know, instances in my lifetime up to that point. So I see him run up to the TV, turns it on. I see this building that's on fire and smoking. And the commentators on the news are talking about what had happened, that there was a plane that struck this building, World Trade Center. And then as you're talking, you see another plane going into the building. And the commentator says this is a possible terrorist attack. I thought to myself right then and there, you've been toying around with the idea of joining the military, but you're talking the talk. You're not walking the walk. You haven't made any strides to go do anything. You're still failing these subjects in school. You're not enlisting. You're not doing anything. You're just, you're just talking. And that's garbage. So I said, all right, this is the time. I'm, I'm, I can't change the trajectory of what just happened. I feel shattered right now because I instantly knew when those planes struck that building that those people were dead. They were murdered. And I said, okay, time, time to man up. Time to do something. You may not be able to change the trajectory of the past, and you certainly aren't going to fix the future, but you could be a part of the solution. So get up off your butt go right now to the recruiter station and sign up for what you think in your brain you want to do. So I went to the recruiter station right then and there. And that was my favorite scenario because I was driving there had all kinds of emotion going through my head. And then when I got to the recruiter station to join on nine 11, 2001, I wasn't the only one there. That was cool.
0: That was cool. cool.
1: So the immediately the recruiter told me I was too young and I couldn't join that moment. I was really upset about that, Um, but I talked to my parents about it, and then I turned 18, and I got to enlist, and I went to the delayed entry program, and uh, I just trained as hard as I could and waited my time to get my opportunity to serve.
0: How did that change you leading up to that time? I mean, did you gain a different focus? Are you now looking at, okay, I have to... now I got to study. I got to pass these grades because if I don't, I, I I'm not going to be able to go. I mean, because that that's one of the uh, the prerequisites is to have a high school diploma or its equivalent. Correct.
1: Correct. Correct. So I can actually tell this story now that my uh, teacher has um, retired. So. <laughs> <laughs> so see, I
0: like telling these stories, Ryan, because there's a lot of mothers that'll that'll happen upon this who have sons that are going through the exact same thing Absolutely. so it so it's good that they hear that hey you know a lot of these guys like you out there you know similar past so please continue
1: yep so i i had a specific teacher it was a government teacher dear friend i still talk to him to this day and i had an f in his class and of course because i didn't know anything about politics Really care about our government. I mean, you're young, you're liberal, you don't know anything, you know? So, is what it was. But he told me, he's like, You're going to join the military after what just happened. And I said, Absolutely. And I started training. It gave me a purpose where I knew that in order for me to get to the goal that I have, and I am now enlisted in the delayed entry program, I have to meet a certain criteria. So, it was a standard that was right away. Instilled in me, I couldn't change. I knew that I had to hit these objectives to get there. And because of that awful, awful deal that happened on 9 11, I mean, that, that almost 3,000 people were murdered, that changes everybody. So I remember my teacher saying, Show me your paperwork that you joined. And so I brought in my delayed entry program contract and I showed it to him and he looks and he goes, all right, remember it very vividly. He takes his eraser out because that's when they used to use number two pencils in their grade book. And he's like, all right, let's see what we're working with here. And he opens up his grade book and I'm just seeing flat across the board F, F, D, F, F, D. And I'm like, Oh, I see there's a kind of theme going on here. And he gets to the very end and he sees the F and that's my grade and he looks at me and he goes anybody who is willing to join our join the service when you know what's about to happen i'm not going to get in their way and he erased the f and he put an a wow and he gave me the opportunity to get to myself to a gpa where i could actually pass and then move on to senior year without having to worry about it and then that's what i would eventually do is move on to senior year i would focus really hard and i would uh I'd be on the honor roll, passing every class, crushing every class because I knew that, you know, the Navy was going to be something interesting. Don't even know what SEAL training is going to be like, but I would assume that it's going to be super difficult and there's going to be a lot of academia. So I'm going to try and make up for lost time and see what I got.
0: But i tell you what, that, that's, a, that's a great statement on an individual who understands a much bigger picture. You know, you're we're there in school not not to get the best grades. We're there in school to learn, and we're there we're there in school to be prepared for life. And it sounds to me like he recognized that that you know switch flipped on for you. And so kudos to him. Oh, unbelievable human being. Yep. So you know, let's fast forward. You you know, you get, make it into uh, uh, into the military. You go through. Uh, seal training. Uh, did you did you have to recycle it all? Or were you fortunate enough to go through once?
1: Uh, so yes, yeah, so I uh, I got rolled. So I started out with class two four five in two thousand three, and I ended up going into class two four six to finish off, graduate, and then battery of classes after that. You go through SQT seal qualification training, Kodiak, Alaska, and then you show up to your seal team. So and help
0: people help people understand when we talk about recycling and rolling. Um, it's, it's for a myriad of reasons. And, and, and it seems like most of the time it has to do with, with physical ailments that won't allow you to, to, to continue on. But, um, you know, I mean, I've read a couple of, uh, of, of accounts or you know, talked to a couple people where they go through Hell Week, which is, you know, the, you know, aptly named for obvious reasons. And then you get hurt, you, you pass Hell Week, but you get hurt coming out of that and you have to go back and start over again and do it all over again. Sure. I mean, there are some people that have done what, three hell weeks?
1: Sort of. So uh, the reason that I got rolled is because I, I just moved through Bud so fast that it was too easy. And they said, you probably need to do this again, just to feel like you've actually accomplished. I'm kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> So
0: I, I was wondering how I was going to uh, remark to that, but yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's hard. I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. SEAL training, every bit of it gets somebody. There's a piece of every, there's a piece of SEAL training that crushes everybody because some people are efficient swimmers, efficient runners, efficient obstacle course, runners, academics, whatever. But there is a piece that kicks everybody's butt. I got rolled. Uh, I had a, uh, what do you call it? Heat stroke and land navigation. So went down, it was hot unfortunate circumstance. So I had to actually roll out. So, but you know, a couple months, you wait two months and you class up with the next class and you start right where you left off and you finish. So the reason that people will go through how week so many times, if they continue on is if you get rolled, it's interesting. I I don't know how they do it today, but they used to do it where if you actually get rolled after Wednesday, then you'll roll you forward uh, because you've proven that you're getting all the way through it. You usually get hurt. It's a stress fracture. It's pneumonia. It's one of those things. The problem is you want to get rolled after Wednesday, though, because if you get rolled before Wednesday, then you're going to have to restart that training in that week from scratch. And that week sucks. It sucks a lot. So I was very fortunate where I pushed through how we went all five and a half days. Um, I only remember three days of it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, you know, you remember little parts of it and you start to put together the pieces over the years. But, you know, for a couple of years after it, you don't necessarily remember more than three days, because they start to get really foggy. You know, it's, it's people say you get a couple hours of sleep a day. That's not true at all. Your body doesn't fall into realm. You don't fall into sleep. And every time you try to fall into sleep, your instructors are there to remind you that you should be awake. And so there's a whole lot that's not written in books that really happens. So it's five and a half days where you're cold, wet, tired, miserable. Um, But, you know, I think that's a perfect example in training of how you should get ready for war. Yes. It's hard. It's terrible. And not everybody's got it. Um, I think a lot more people do have it than they believe in themselves. And Agreed. that's one of the things you have to believe in yourself um, and really want it. But it was a, a great training tool for me to understand that you could really push yourself further than you thought. I mean, before that, I was a Walgreens photo printer, so I wasn't really pushing myself there. <laughs> I printed a lot of pictures, but you know, I can do that- some glossing. <laughs> yes. Uh, I should get a sponsorship for Walgreens since I say it so much now.
0: <laughs> I know the Walgreens. I actually went to college with them, so Did you? I'll, I'll see what I can do to hook you up there. Send the word. They <laughs> sent me up to be a
1: Navy seal sniper. So there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just it's it's interesting. I, I don't remember, I certainly don't remember the very end ta- the tail end of it, except for the final piece of how we, uh, which was the grad portion. And I'll share the story. So we're cruising back it's five and a half days into it. And the instructor gets on the megaphone and he says, Hey guys, I'm sorry to report, but you know, the class before uh, two classes before you, is getting ready to graduate today. So we got to roll you 24 hours to the right. And two things happened right then and there. One, my brain exploded because I was like, Oh my God, another day but at the same time. It told me right away. Oh, we're at day five. It's Friday. Sweet because you have no sense of time. You only know the sun goes up, the sun comes down, and you start to gauge it by you eat every six hours. You have a new instructor staff coming in every eight hours. So you can kind of gauge it because you can't just walk up to an instructor and be like, hey, can I get a time hack real quick? It don't work like that in the military, you know. So you kind of gauge it off of that. But after a period of time of just your body going to complete mental and physical fatigue, you have no idea or comprehension of where you're at. But then that led me to, okay, we're at day five. And then you think to yourself, wow, I make it this far. And as you're thinking through this stuff, you're standing in front of the beach, and the instructors, you know, he gets on the megaphone and says about face. Or I'm sorry, he says, uh, you know, interlock arms, you're about to get surf tortured. And so we're all standing there facing the ocean, day five and a half. You're getting ready to get in 50 degree water again. You don't want to how,
0: how many have dropped out at this point?
1: At this point, I had no, no clue. I mean, I didn't even know what we started with and how Week. Um, I think we had, I know we started with like 180 some guys. And I think we were roughly around between 30 and 40 people left.
0: 180 to, 100 to down to 30.
1: We started day one of Bud's, which would be five weeks or four weeks prior to hell week uh, with 180 some people. And by day five of hell week, we were at between 30 and 40 people
0: man. Yeah. So that's, that's a pretty impressive number.
1: Yeah. It's, in, it's, uh, yeah. I don't remember most of them going away. <laughs> you just, you're like, what happened? Where's there, where's everybody, but we're sitting there, we're standing there facing the ocean interlock arms, getting ready to get surf tortured again, which is basically you sit in the water, you lay in the water and you just let that cold water surge over your body and just chill you to the core. And I remember the instructor saying on the megaphone about face Right at the fringe of the water we turn around and there's nobody there just an american flag stuck in the ground floating and right then and there i knew my why why would they show us that like why there's no trophies there's no medals there's no there's an american flag floating and they showed us that because so many men and women have died defending our country And that's all you need to understand is what you fight for. And I was so blown away by that. And I was like, wow. I instantly got my meaning and purpose, my why of why I was there. Because you don't know what being a SEAL is. You're in training. You know what it is to be a student. You don't know what it is on the other side. But I got my why and I was ready to fight. I was like, I'm in. I'm 100% committed. That's not indoctrination. That is American spirit. And I was so proud. And then right behind that, all the instructors come running up from behind the berm, screaming and cheering. It's the last time that instructor would ever cheer for a student ever again through the rest of training. So fired up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And you're so broken down. And the instructor, the commanding officer of Hell Week, or commanding officer of SEAL training gets on the megaphone and says, congratulations to you, future Navy SEALs. Hell Week is secured. And of course, it's like, You want to jump to the sky. You want to get so fired up and excited, and you just realize that your body doesn't want to move another inch. And so you're like, "Uh, "Good job." (laughs) Where is my bed? (laughs) And then you go and you lay in your bed, and you're like, "I can't wait to close my eyes and go to sleep." And then you're just up for the next twenty hours because you're still fired up, and you're like, "But that was the most important part of that situation." Was I made a promise to myself? that I would call my parents to tell them that I made it. And it was simple. I made the call and I made the call to my mom first. And I said, Hey mom, how are you doing? And she said, Oh my gosh, sweetie. Um, I'm great. How, how are you doing? I said, that's a great question. i um, really tired. I'm exhausted, but I want you to let, I wanted to let you know that your son made it through how week. And I'm not a failure anymore. And thank you for everything from the bottom of my heart, because you and my father are the reason that I'm here. And that was the most rewarding thing. And I call that my spark. You see, I get emotional about it when I talk about it, because if you don't fight for something you believe in, then you're not fighting. You don't, you're not moving forward. I use my spark every time I need it to turn on the gas and fight as hard as I can possibly do. So it's not about the times that are great. It's about generally every day. Am I doing my absolute best? So I always refer back to my spark. Am I impressing my parents? Am I showing them that it's worth it, that I'm busting my butt. And so making that call to her, she started crying. I was an emotional basket case. I was like, Hey, gotta get off the phone before I completely lose it in front of my teammates here. I gotta act tough. You know, And then I called my dad and he had choice words because, you know, my dad was in the impression where he's a, he's a reader. And so he looked at the statistics seal training and he said, you know, it's an 85% attrition rate. And I said, well, I don't even know what that word means. So does that mean that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And he's like, dude, <laughs> you're, you gotta get your head on, on a swivel. You have no idea what you're about to go up against. And when I told my father, I graduated from Hell week and that I was going to be a seal, he was beside himself this was the first time in my life that I got to prove to my parents that I was doing something with my life. And it was the first time that I proved to myself that I could possibly be excellent. And what you find in time as being on a team is that the only reason that you're excellent or exceptional is because you are surrounded by it. And it's the the composition of the team that makes the team excellent. And each individual gives a little piece to make you what you are.
0: So, Quite an amazing time. I, I, I've heard a lot of stories about SEAL training, and I've heard a lot of stories about Hell Week. It's the first time I've heard of that happening. And I, I just, you gave me this unbelievable visual that equated to a whole lot of goosebumps. Because you're right. It is. At the end of the day, it's about that flag and what that flag represents. It's about what that flag represents to you. It's about all the good in our country. It's about all the bad in our country. Just like us as individuals, we ain't perfect. We got good, we got bad, but you know what? It's us. And there's only one like it. And so I want to thank you for sharing that because that was fantastic. And I know you've got some really hot sports opinions about what what's happened over in Afghanistan. And, and um, you know, for the viewers, I I want them to know we're going to go down that path here in a few, but you know, I want to kind of fast forward a little bit to today. You've got a lovely wife, you've got two young boys and you told me that the hardest thing, one of the hardest things you've ever done is learning how to be a father. Because there is no field manual for that. That's right. And so I'm really curious to hear, is there anything that as you're, as you're, as you are being a father to them and, and, the biggest part about being a dad we know is teaching. Is there anything that you recall that you reflect back on in your days in service that you take with you now? And you go, son, let me explain to you why that's a bad move. Or son, let me explain to you why you need to do this. Anything that sticks out with you to this day?
1: I got two things and neither of them came specifically from service, but I think they're extraordinarily powerful. In fact, two of my main values now, number one, I was at a police graduation. A buddy of mine was graduating police academy and a fire chief walks up on stage. And for those of you listening and there is a fun feud between the police and fire service. They both love each other and they're working together, but it's like the military. If you're in a different unit or a different branch, when you're back in CONUS or in country, I'm better than you. <laughs> and when we're overseas, we're a team and that's the same thing. Well, if fire chief shows up on stage to this police graduation and says, I know what's a fire chief doing at a police graduation. Like, I just wanted to say something to you that I felt relevant. Um, Because what you're about to embark on is incredible. He said, you're going to be tasked to do things to which the people that you're saving lives of will never know that you're the hero. You're going to be putting your life in harm's way and your families are not going to know where you're at or what you're doing that current day. And some of you will get injured and some of you might make the ultimate sacrifice. When you go home from work and you have children, get up off your ass get down to the ground and play with your children. Doesn't matter how tired you are. And I'm like, wow, said it right at the perfect time when my kids were so young, where I could use an excuse where I worked hard and I'm mentally fatigued or whatever it is for the day. It's not good enough. Get on the ground, play with your kids. You signed up for it, let's do it and give it hundred miles an hour. At the end of the day, if you pass out in bed with your children and your wife comes and yells at you because you're not in the bed with her, that's okay because you did it right. So that was number one, I thought was really valuable that I-
0: But you signed up for it, own it.
1: That's right, that's right. A um, couple other things. So, well, the other thing that was most, I think this was number one, because um, it's a good way to end on this, is uh, I have a dear friend who said, my father told me this, and I instilled this in my children, and I'm going to throw it to you. And it was interesting because he had just lost his son. And so he's sharing this story to me at the wake of his son. And he said, you know, my dad told me and I, I told my sons when they were about age to understand, he just put my he put his hand on my shoulder and said, let's make a deal here. Some days you're going to mess up and some days I'm going to mess up. So let's just keep let's give each other a little grace that was so powerful and so those are two things that i try i mean i I focus on constantly and every day is going to be a different day and you're going to try things that are going to work out great you're going to try things that are going to completely backfire on you but you keep trying
0: so i i think that's an interesting story to kind of segue into the the hot topic that that i referenced um Mistakes are made. Grace needs to be given. But we have a tendency to hold others to a higher standard. Not we, but society has a tendency to hold others to a higher standard than they hold themselves. Mm. That's happening a lot right now. Um, And there is a flood of emotion, a lot of mixed emotion about the departure from Afghanistan. Um, and for anyone who is wondering right now, this will not be political. Um, Ryan and I did talk about this earlier. Um, we are an apolitical organization and I'm not going to go down that path, but there's a, a moral and an ethical aspect to what we're talking about. And you have a lot of guys who served in Afghanistan who feel that it's all for naught. Why, why was I there? Why did I lose my best friend if we're not even going to see it through? And there's another side of it who says, we should have been out long ago and my friend would have lived. And they're all right. Nobody's wrong in that regard. But I'm, I'm not even sure that there's a question in where I'm going with this, but I'm as confused as anybody about it, Ryan. Mm.
1: Understood.
0: I understand. And yeah. you, you, you know, you were very vocal about this recently on uh, on Instagram, and I, I want to give you the opportunity to to follow that up.
1: Certainly, I do from time to time share views or share thoughts. Um, it's funny how Instagram, social media, whatever it is, works because. It's give, it gives you the platform twenty four seven to be a voice and I don't ever have anything I want to say publicly. You know, I will look at ninety percent of the time if I want to talk, I'm like this is garbage. I won't or whatever. I just I'm not a public spokesperson and all that stuff. So I usually internalize my thoughts and then I'll talk to my internal teams or close teams and kind of I value opinions of the people that I trust. But one thing that it led me to think about and discuss that where I went off on Instagram and social media, um, I'm kind of an old soul. And I always look back to my grandfathers who served in World War II. And I think about the generation that was just under my grandparents, because my grandfathers, they all joined served, serve. They fought in World War II. That was what you did. You're coming out of Great Depression. There's hard times in America, really, really hard times and they're fighting a war, a world war, and they win, and they were, I'm in, I'll do it. And then you have that generation just getting old enough right under them to enlist to go do their part for this country when, they, when we closed out the wars. And they were watching this hope and this excitement and the power of America saying, we're ending this. We mean business. They were so young when they fought. They did it with such pride. They were so courageous. They developed the, you know, continued the traditions of the United States Marine Corps, the army, the Navy, everything. And these younger generation that were watching this on, I guess, you know, I was looking at it. the radios. They were mostly everybody had radios that they were listening to it and they were just glued to it. Some had TVs. They got to see this or hear this and they had so much pride and now I'm going to go fight for this country or I'm going to believe in this country and their parents and their brothers were the war fighters, So they had somebody to emulate and look up to. We come to 2021 and these same veterans that are still with us and alive and that generation just underneath them are watching the TV and they're seeing us give everything up. And I always look back and, and it's not a, it's not a time of hope right now. That's not what we're portraying in the media. That's not what we're portraying in the, in the country, in the world. Everybody's confused. And so I just feel, I feel heartbroken for them because I served and I tried to continue on the path of the footsteps of those who laid it before me. And I tried to do my best while I was in service and hopefully pass that on to the next generation but at the smaller level, not looking about politics or the globalized level of this, just a small level, what, what, we, what are we doing to these veterans that serve in the greatest generation? How are we making them feel? Are we making them proud? And so, again, there's, there's so much that we could talk about this. And I'm not a politician. I am not trying to run for politics. I promise you listening right now, I will never run for office. So don't ever hear that. That will never happen. I will be fired the first day I get in. So not not happening. Um, but I'm an American and I'm a veteran. And I just want to do what's right to continue to preserve our country and work with our allies to make sure that we are still a very strong nation that people believe in.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like As an organ or as a country, we kind of had the wolf by the ears. Um, You know, that's, that's an old metaphor for, you know, you can't hold on forever because your arms are going to get tired. But if you let go, you're going to get bit um, or worse. And, you know, again, I I just, you know, personally, I mean, my heart aches, you know, you, you see these, you know, these people that are, that are literally falling off airplanes because that risk is less than if they were to stay there and, and, and face the other consequences. I mean, that's, you know, we, we refer to that as the horn, you know, on the horns of a dilemma, you know, if the left one doesn't get you the right one will, I mean, and it's um, again, I don't know that there's a right answer. I mean, it's um does it mean that people died in vain? You know, we talked about this, uh, you know, earlier. I don't think so. And, and regardless of whether I agree with the decision or not, I don't think it was in vain because I think some people were given a better opportunity at life at some point. It time will tell if it was the right decision or the wrong decision, but that's easy to, to be a historian and, in, in uh, in hindsight. And I just have to believe that those that we know who died over there, and we've, we've known a few, it was not in vain. And I refuse to accept that it was.
1: Nope, it wasn't. It will never be in vain. It was. When you get overseas to fight, you put out, you know, first two weeks, three weeks of your uh, time overseas, you're getting all the, you know, cobwebs shook off and you're just getting comfortable. And then you kind of throw out to the window that it doesn't matter if I die. I don't care because I'm going to die doing the job I signed up for with the people that I love. And that's something that's so unique and beautiful about the military is I never knew anybody in my SEAL team prior to me joining the military. They come from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, some different religious beliefs, whatever. And then you're there on the team and then out of nowhere you become best friends it's so unique how that happens and that happens because we always put mission above self and we always have one mission just one so it's easy and you get overseas and you feel like you're doing something because you're actually doing the job you signed up to do and wasn't our call we're not politicians we don't make the call whether we go to war or not but hey you tell us he's gonna go fight awesome i'm in that's what i chose to do that's what i wanted to do and should I be able to die? And I don't know the statistic of how many died saving lives and how many died protecting their brothers. But I'm sure that it's a unique number of how many men and women actually died doing something unbelievably heroic. And so that's not a vein. You're over there in a crappy situation because war sucks, but you're trying to do the best you can. And you certainly want to make sure that that never comes here, because for those who have never been overseas and fought in war, or even been to a third world country. If that came here to America. Oh, my God. I can't even fathom that. So we try to keep it over there or wherever it may be, and just at least out of our country. But I know my brothers that I've lost. If they had the opportunity to be here and redo it all over again, nothing would change they're heroes they're more than heroes they're angels those are the ones sent down from god and doesn't matter what your political beliefs is is my beliefs they're angels sent down from god to affect your life and affect so many in a short period of time to change the trajectory to get us back on track and then they go out to do something else that god had intended for them that's what i believe you don't get angels forever you get them for a short period of time and then you learn from that and then you continue to try to live on through their legacy so Nobody died in vain. We were all there to do the right thing for America, for each other. And, you know, you box it in two. I fought for America. I wore the American flag. I will always wear the American flag. But when you're overseas in the middle of a bad operation, you are fighting for those to the left and the right of you. That's it.
0: Well, it's a topic we could continue to go on and on about. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if we had a group of uh, you know of, uh, veterans like us sitting around, I'm sure it would uh, it go in a lot of different directions. So, I appreciate your comments on that. And I, I'm I'm I want to talk a little bit now about um, about Sons of the Flag. Um, you know, one of the one of the neat things about this is I never talk to anyone where I on this podcast where I can't say, "How do you continue to serve?" And somebody go. I don't know. I just get up and go to work. I mean, every single person I know continues to serve in some form or fashion. So tell us about Sons of the Flag.
1: Well, I think if you've served in any capacity, um, that you if you stop doing that job or you retire from that job, you're going to go through a point or a phase transition where it's going to be difficult because you're going to realize that you are missing a core component of what made you thrive. And, you know, I went through that same transition. I got out and I moved to Dallas, Texas, where, you know, I was offered a cool job and, you know, it's going to pay me a little bit more than we make in the military. I was like, oh, that sounds good. You know, because remember me, I'm a high school scholar, so I'm going to crush it now. And this guy's offering me this. Yeah, I'm in. This did will you, never did happen Did you again. work for
0: Walgreens after that?
1: No, but you're going to work on that for me, right? That's what I'm working said. on it. We've got it live. So ultimately, I got out, moved to Dallas and I. I was like, who am I now? What am I now? What what am I doing now? What's going to turn my jets on? And what am I going to do to fire it up and get after it? And I had nothing. So along the way of trying to figure out who Ryan Parrott was after service, uh, I met an army ranger who was in an IED in Afghanistan. And he was severely burned and... He had disfigurement. And I had to ask him point blank, what are they doing for you guys today? You know, with your burns. And he said, man, I've had three dozen surgeries. This is as good as it gets. Three dozen. Uh, Three dozen. And that's on the low spectrum. So he said, this is as good as it gets for me. And I said, what? He said, look at me. Yeah, I'm looking. He said, this is as good as it gets. I couldn't believe what I was hearing because you know, we've seen people lose limbs. You know, they put on a prosthetic. We've had guys in the SEAL teams who have had prosthetics who have gone out and operated again. Now they've gotten the prosthetics to a level where you're literally back up and running marathons and you're doing things that you never, you couldn't do 20 years ago. It's insane. Why are we not there with burn care? Blast wounds were such a prevalent thing. IEDs in Iraq and Afghanistan, they're getting worse. They're getting bigger. How are we helping the warfighter? So started to look into burn care that night after our meeting. And I studied all night long and could not find anything to give him. And that was going to be the ideas. I know a couple of people in Dallas, they've asked how they can help me. I don't need any help. But if we could find a way to help him, if I could find something out there that was public knowledge to help him, then I would go to those people and say, hey, do you think you'd throw some money in a hat? And we can find him to get the surgery or whatever this is and get him back to where he wants to be. Came up short. So the next day I called him, his name is Sam Brown. And I said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me from yesterday. He's army ranger. Let me start by saying that. I don't know if you remember me from yesterday. I was that really good looking Navy SEAL. He goes, Oh God, what do you want? I said, brother, (laughs) I studied all night long on burn care to give you something. And I came up short if I start something on your behalf, would you join me? And he said, brother, I'd be honored. And that was the that was the start of Sons of the Flag. No idea what we were going to do, was not going to go any further. It was literally just to help him out. And so I brought in a bunch of guys that I'd met in Dallas, you know, hardcore CEOs, executives, C-suite level. And we sat around a table and we're like, all right, so what do you need? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, about 30 million. Sounds good. No background in business, no background in charity work no intention of growing it past him, but we're going to fix this guy. That's what we're going to do. And what's that right there. That's mission. That's meaning and purpose. That's I'm back. I got it. This is my new program. It's called putting a new uniform on and getting after service. So we started sons of the flag in 20, uh, 2012. And the idea was just to help Sam Brown and super, super blessed that we are still here in 2021 and growing the organization every year. And we are in over 30 States and we covered on, on burn care nationwide. And one of our biggest partners in this whole thing to continue to push the word out, to help us expand. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm not paid to say this is carry the load, carry the load. Uh, I was with carry the load first year around Katie or uh, around white, uh, white rock Lake. And it was like between year one and two carry the load exploded and it was just growing so fast. And, we were asked to be a beneficiary. I'm like, whoa. Okay, cool. And with Carry the Load ever since. And to be able to put us on the map to expose us to all people that follow Carry the Load to come to support that walk the trail. Um, even put my face on a on a bus, you you guys made a mistake there. You you just don't even know how many people hate me. So
0: well, we just had to take different routes along the way. That's I all.
1: figured that a lot of people just couldn't make it happen. So you had my picture, why not? But It's in all seriousness, you know, a concept that was supposed to be for one person. And then your group believing in us and believing enough in us to share our message out above your own mission was a huge piece for us. And that made us believe in ourselves. Like, hey, we're on to something real here. And quite frankly, right after we started this for one person, I got reached out to by a firefighter in DC on LinkedIn. He said, Hey man, I love what you're doing. I think you need to expand to firefighters and I wanna join your team and run DC for you. And I'm like, what? First of all, I don't know the guy. Secondly, um, I don't even know what we're doing in Dallas, Texas. And now we have a footprint in DC. Either we're in trouble or we got to get after it. And so it was like, okay, cool. This is bigger than we thought. There's more layers to this than we thought of. And so we said, Well, all but right. that's, the,
0: that's the essence of leadership. You know, you, you start walking and you turn around and, and if people are there, then they're, you're a leader. And that's what you did with this organization. And, you know, I, I want to encourage people to go out and, and, and look at the website, see the things you've done, because it goes far beyond helping a couple of burn victims now. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you have a lot of, of research and development going that uh, that's going to help people for years to come. Is that correct?
1: That's right. And the biggest thing that I think we're right now, you can look at the American burn association puts out that about 480,000 people in this country get burned every year of which 40,000 people will receive lifelong treatment. That's third degree and worse that cannot be treated without medical attention and their life changes forever. Our focal point is burns period. We're niche. We're going to stay in burns. We're not expanding past that. We are going to stay that way. Um, But when you look at the number of patients and then you look at how many burn surgeons there are in this country. There's about 300 burn surgeons nationwide. That's 40,000 40, people that have lifelong treatment needs and 300 doctors around the country. And then you look at, there's not a burn unit in every city. Okay. It's understandable because they're very expensive, but there's not a burn unit in every state. So now if you get burned and you're in a state that doesn't have one, you are completely displaced. Your family's displaced. So looking at the overview of this and saying, okay, we only, we have a shortage of doctors. That means we're not doing a good job of recruiting doctors. All our doctors are over 40, 50 years old. Like all the ones that have a name in this you know, game, there's going to be a mass exodus. We can't let that happen. So let's get in front of that. So we hire doctors in the residency to become burn surgeons. And right now we sons of the flag is funding 50% of all new burn surgeons nationwide this year in 2021 and we're going to own that. We're going to take over 100% of that and then they'll pay.
0: <laughs> oh Man, Ryan, I tell you what. You you guys do a a fantastic job. There I mean, you know, here here we are. It's, you know, it's 5:53, which is longer than we normally go. There's so many things that that we can still touch on. We haven't even talked about how you got your nickname. I haven't even talked about the book that he wrote Sons of the Flag, which quite honestly, you came up with this concept for a book before I did. And I was thinking I had a a concept that nobody else had come up with. So I had to turn it into a podcast just in order to not go completely on the same grid as you. So, (laughs) you know, you you've done so many good things for America. You've done so many good things for, you know, for your community, the the work you guys do at Sons of the Flag, you know, like you pointed out. Not even every state has a, has a burn uh, center. Not every, I mean, there's 300 doctors. That just baffles me. So where can people go to find more information about you? Maybe, you know, hire you for an event because you, I know you do some public speaking and, and, you know, you're one of those guys when you start talking, I lean in a little bit more just to, just to listen because you got really, uh, you're full of wisdom. So where do people go to find that information out?
1: Yeah, you can. If you want to check out more about Sons of the Flag, it's simple. It's sonsoftheflag.org. Um, there are websites there. We have a very robust um, uh, employment of three people full time. So you'll get us if you email us. All three of us will receive the email. So we'll always be there. Um, if you want to learn more or just want to follow me, you can go to Birdman Actual on either Instagram or Facebook. Same same handle, one word, um, and follow me. I again try to keep everything non-political. Sometimes I do get on a rant, but I only do it with the best of intentions. Most of the time, it's crazy wingsuit videos, or skydiving, or base jumping, or extreme sports drills—fun um, stuff. And then uh, you can go to RyanBirdmanParrot.com if you want to learn more about speaking or that. It's pretty simple. But I appreciate you giving me that PSA.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and so uh two final questions for you um what is one thing that that you think people would be really surprised to learn about ryan Parrott?
1: wow that's a question right there <laughs> i really really like justin bieber just kidding
0: totally kidding <laughs> Somehow I could buy into that.
1: (laughs) Of course. I mean, you you got the
0: artwork going uh, on the arms, very similar. So, you know, I I, I thought maybe that was it.
1: Wow. This is a really, really interesting question. Um,
0: Surprise. A lot of people know me as an extreme sports guy. And
1: a lot of people call me crazy or think I'm fearless of anything. And I'm actually pretty terrified of all these things that I do. What people don't understand of why I got into extreme sports and why I jump off of things is because the idea for me is how can I potentially make a video so viral that I could put a call to action on top of it to help your greater good. I don't jump for pleasure. It's fun at times. It's scary at times but I jump because I know that these short videos get a lot of views. And can we convert those views into a call to action? Talk is just talk. Action is so powerful. And so if we can show you what you think might be cool and then hook you in to understand what's important, we might be onto something. So I'm actually terrified of the majority of the stuff I do. And yeah, I didn't kill bin Laden. I know most people think I did. So there's that. <laughs>
0: All right. Final question. Who are you carrying?
1: Ah, it's a great one. It's a, that's a tough one. I'll say for right now, David Metcalf, I've got 25 teammates I've lost since the beginning of the wars, but David Metcalf was my sniper partner. Um, he died January 2nd, 2019. Yeah. He was my right hand man. I was his right hand man. And, um, I will always fight as hard as I can every day to honor him. Thanks for asking.
0: You bet. Ryan, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, I, absolute pleasure. And I look forward to, uh, I may have to have you on again, because again, there's so many other things that we can talk about that we haven't. But thank you, my brother. Appreciate you.
1: No, I love so, you, brother. Appreciate everything. I
0: love you too, man. And for everybody else out there, I want to uh, just make sure that, you know, our next episode is going to be our Patriot day edition, and we are going to have a fantastic guest. It is the former undersecretary uh, of veteran affairs for Memorial affairs. So he's the undersecretary of Memorial affairs for the VA. His name is Randy Reeves. He's become a good friend of the organization. He's, uh, he's a fantastic American. And you know that's you know that reminds me also that we are coming up against the 20th anniversary of uh, 9/11, and so Patriot Day is uh, is what it's become known as. And I would encourage everybody to go online to carrytheload.org/patriotday to join us Friday, September 10, as we clean the hallowed grounds of 65 of America's national cemeteries. I'll actually be in Quantico. Uh, more than likely in Quantico that day. I'd love to have you come out. And so for all of you out there, my name is Todd Boating and I'm carrying Captain Rick Gannon, United States Marine Corps. Who are you carrying?